You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. So we are continuing on in our series in the book of Galatians. Who's reading Galatians? Now you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I know so much about Galatians for now. <laughs> No, I really do hope that you're reading it because I want to challenge you when um, the pastor brings series like this. Last year he did Ephesians. Um, we should be reading along yeah, right. because it's an opportunity for us to go somewhere together as a church. It, it creates church unity. It helps us go somewhere. I want to go somewhere with my brothers and sisters. So each week we've been adding a little bit more, painting a little bit more fuller picture for the book of Galatians. And today I'm going to start with a, a map. It's not the best map, but I wanted to show you that, um, as, as has been said, that Paul wrote this letter to a region. It's not just one church. It's a region of churches that he planted. It's Antioch. Remember Antioch? It's the first place they were called Christians. Antioch was actually a major hub. I mean, there was a major church in Antioch that Paul planted, Iconium, Lystra and Derby. If you want to read about Paul's, <laughs> the misadventures of Paul the Apostle, <laughs> you can read them in the book of Acts because he details these were missionary journeys for him that the Holy Spirit sent him and Barnabas at first to go to these places and to preach the gospel of Jesus. So if you've ever been on a missionary trip, what happens? You get a heart for the people that live in that region, right? If you've ever led someone to the Lord, and especially if it's a friend or a family member, you have a heart connection with them that you want to see them through to, to move on in maturity to Christ, right? If you have a ministry that you're consistently doing, some, some people minister to children all the time. Some people minister to women or the homeless um, or the poor, what we were just talking about here, ministering to help people have food. You get a heart for those people right? We're not, not doing this service um, devoid of our heart connection. And I'm just saying that to remind you that Paul's heart was connected to these churches. He loved these people. He wasn't writing a letter to no name, no face. He knew a lot of the leaders. He had, he had placed them there and he trained them while he was there. So these letters in the New Testament that we have from the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> they're letters from an apostolic father who absolutely loves these people. And as any good father does, he encourages them and he corrects them. You're not a good father if you only correct your children but don't encourage them. Or if you only encourage but you never correct. We'll keep moving on. <laughs> I started too heavy too fast. <laughs> Sorry, I got warmed up last, last service. <laughs> okay, week one, Pastor Mark brought to us, what have you done for me lately? And chapter one, Paul is exerting his authority over the churches. He's saying, look, guys, I planted you. I, I helped labor among you. You should listen to what I'm saying to you. I'm not telling you a lie. I'm speaking the truth to you. And he emphasized that Paul said, I am not here to be a man pleaser. I'm here to please God. And Paul, you know, sometimes people say, why, do, why did God choose Paul? Well, one of the reasons was definitely because Paul wasn't afraid to take anybody on. I mean, this dude would take on the Pharisees. He would take on Gentiles. He would take on Rome. I mean, he would take on anybody. He's just the kind of guy like, did you ever have a friend that like just didn't know when to shut up? <laughs> and you're like, don't say that. That person's going to punch you in the face. 
That's kind of like Paul. He was just very bold. So that was week one. Chapter two, Pastor Leanne brought to us Killing Me Softly. Ooh, that's an intense title. And she talked about how Paul declared that, look, my life, the reason I've lived like this is because my life is not my own to live. I live it by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for me. And she encouraged us that that is a model that we should live by. Last week, Eric brought us, it takes two. Anybody remember that? <laughs> it takes two. I was like, is that song holy enough for church? <laughs> I guess it was because we went there. <laughs> I loved it, Eric. <laughs> Um, but I want to spend a little bit more time reviewing because what Eric brought to us and chapter three brought to us is the crux of this, the reason for this entire letter to the Galatians, the, the region of Galatia. And it was this. So Paul would go and he would plant these churches and, you know, a year or two or something, somebody would come around and it was, they called them Judaizers. The reason they called them Judaizers is because they were Jewish people but they, they believed in Jesus as the Messiah, okay? So they were what we would call Christians. So they were Christians, but they would come to the churches and they would start telling the churches in order to fully be saved, to be saved, you have to, if you're a male, you have to be circumcised. And then if you want to walk in sanctification, you need to follow the law of Moses, so that is specifically what this letter is addressing. <clears throat> so what these Judaizers, these Christian Jews were doing was they were taking an Old Testament theology and they were bringing it into the new covenant. Because in the Old Testament, let me tell you, did you know that God would let Gentiles come into the Jewish family? Yeah, he always made a way for the Gentiles to come in. Remember Rahab, the harlot? She was a Gentile. She not only came into the Jewish family, she was in the lineage of Jesus himself. How about Ruth, the Moabite? She came into the Jewish family and she's also in the lineage of Jesus. So the Gentiles coming in was always part of God's plan. He foreshadowed it, but they were, they were saying, okay, but this Old Testament theology, now we're bringing it into the New Testament. How many has ever had that happen to them in their Christian walk? bringing something from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Let me tell you, these people, the Judaizers, they were very sincere in their faith. And they probably had a lot of scripture to back it up. But they were sincerely wrong. We need to know the word. One of the things that Jesus warned of the most at, towards the end when he would talk about the end of the age was deception. The only way the only way, there's no other way to avoid deception is to know truth so that you know a lie when you hear it. Chapter three said justification comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not circumcision, not obeying the Mosaic law. Now I thought of this, how, how does this transfer sometimes into our society? Well, I remember when I was a kid and apparently I had good theology when I was like 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> I would be at my friend's house, and it was a friend, so I knew the family. I would be there all the time. Now, this family did not know God. They did not love God. God was never in their realm of reality. But actually, probably several times, the mother would say to me about my friend, she'd say, you have to take her to church so she can get baptized. Does baptism save you? It's just like circumcision. 
It's a sign. It's an outward sign of an inner reality. So baptism can't save us. Circumcision can't save us. Only faith in Jesus Christ alone and his final work on the cross. That is how we are saved. There, we can't add anything to that work. So we're going to read chapter 4, but I, we're going to jump in at verse 19. So I just want to tell you what was happening in those first 19 verses. Paul is continuing his thought from chapter 3, and he's reminding us that we are sons. We are heirs of Christ. Okay? <clears throat> we're heirs of Christ. And he says, guys, do you remember when I came to you? Do you remember when I was with you? Do you remember how I labored among you? He's reminding them. So it's like this. You have a good friend, and say you get into a fight, but you're saying, like, remember all the good times we spent together? Don't let this fight or this disagreement, you know, make everything bad. So that's what Paul's doing at the beginning. So if you'll stand to your feet, we're going to read Galatians 4, 19, starting in verse 19. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate would be more than those of one who has a husband. But now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, that it is eternal, that this is just as meaningful now as it was when Paul wrote it. God, we just ask that your word would go forth. I just ask that you would speak through my mouth today and Lord, let us be blessed by your presence and let us feel you and draw nearer to you today, God. In Jesus name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So my title for today, you know, I have to go along with the song titles. Okay. <laughs> but, but really this is what it is. I don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith. <laughs> Who remembers 1999 or 1989, 1998? <laughs> dyslexia today. <laughs> it was a year before my husband and I got married. And as soon as I thought about this song, I thought about um, our honeymoon, which was 1999. And we lived in Virginia at the time. And we went to South Florida. 
And I just remember driving down the road, you know, I just listening to this song. I don't want to miss a thing. You know, it's a love song. I got my husband. I'm so happy. But the only problem was I had to drive the rental car the whole honeymoon because my husband was only 19 and I was 22. You should have seen his face. I still remember it 24 years later. We walked up. We're like all excited. We flew together like we're little kids. And we go to check out the car. And they look at Chris's license. They go, no, you are not driving this rental car. And that, uh, I was glad they let me drive it. But anyways, bring back memories. But I thought about this song because as I began to ask the Lord, what's your heart behind chapter four? That's what I felt like he said. It was his heart and Paul's heart. I don't want you to miss a thing. I don't want you to miss what I'm doing, what I have done, what I'm saying. And you know, that was really a theme even for the apostle Paul's life. He had FOMO before FOMO was a thing. (laughs) He did. If you read his writing, he he had a fear of missing out from what God had for him. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians. He said, do you not know that those who run in a, run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Paul wanted to win his prize, but he also wanted those that he had um, led to the Lord to win their prize too. And that's the heart behind Galatians 4. I don't want you to miss a thing. I don't want you to miss what God is doing for you. So Galatians 4 is all about sonship. And specifically, which kind of son will you be? He gives us the analogy between the two sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. Now, ladies, today I'm going to use the word sonship a lot, and I'm going to use the word brethren. But I want you to know that Paul said in Galatians 3, he said, we're neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, or male or female, right? Some people would probably take that verse these days and say it doesn't matter what sex we are. But that's taking a verse out of context, Because the context that Paul is driving for is it's not about our differences. If you want to know that, read his letters to the Corinthians. It's about our position as sons in God, as daughters in God. We are positionally children of God. And that's the point that he's going to drive home to us today. So position is important in the kingdom of God, but it's also important in our everyday lives. Have you ever played on a sports team and you have a position and this person has a position, but that person starts trying to play your position and you're like, what are you doing? Get out of my position. I've seen it happen with my boys when they play sports. I don't really know what the positions are, but when they play basketball, I see them all switching around and then it's chaotic. And I'm like, that one should be guarding that one, but they've switched positions and I don't, what happens when you switch positions? You don't meet the goal. It gets chaotic. It gets messy. Maybe you're not a sports person, so you hate that analogy. <laughs> Maybe you're an arts person. What if you were in an orchestra and you were, your position was first position violin? You worked really hard for that position. What if fourth position violin just came up, knocked you out, took your position? Position is important. Position's important in families. What if the children try to be the boss when dad's supposed to be the boss? 
In every area of life, you have a role, a position you are ought to play. And in Galatians 4, he is telling us, your position is a son, is a child of God. But here's the question, which kind of child will you be? Will you be like Ishmael or will you be like Isaac? So we're going to get into it a little bit, the story of Ishmael and Isaac, because I want you guys to get a clear understanding because this is our key verse today in Galatians. And I'm gonna say it over and over and over again. It's now you brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Paul is telling us our identity. We are children of promise. Do we act like it is gonna be the question. So Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. The story has to start with their father because with no father, you don't have any sons, despite what the world says. <laughs> okay, God promised, he gets into a relationship with Abraham and he says, okay, come on, Abraham. I want, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be in relationship with you. Do you guys remember when God said that to you? I want to be in relationship with you. Come to me, come, come. So he begins to promise him things. He promised Abraham a land. It was called the land of Canaan. Now it's called the land of Israel. He promised Abraham that he would give him a great name. Has that promise come true? Am I talking about Abraham right now, thousands of years later? That's a pretty great name. He promised that he would make a great nation out of him. And he promised him that from his body, all of the nations or the families of the earth would be blessed. That is a messianic promise. He's promising the Messiah is going to come from his body. That's a really intense promise. But that's a messianic promise. That is a promise of Jesus. So when God called Abraham and begins to make all these promises to him, Abraham is 75 years old. It's never too late to start following God. <laughs> 75 years old. So God promised these things to Abraham not once, not twice, more than three times, but on the third time, Abraham, he gets a little irritated with God, it seems like. He's like, God, you keep promising me a great land, a great name, a great nation, blah, blah, blah. No, maybe he didn't say it that way. <laughs> but he's like, there's one problem, God. I have no son. How can I have a great nation? How can all these things happen? They were all contingent upon Abraham having a family, and he had no children at age 75. So God says to him, you will have a son. You will have a son. I promise you that you're going to have a son. Another 11 or 12 years goes by. No son. Can you imagine waiting that long for a promise? Well, that's why he gets to be called the father of faith. You know what I'm saying? He has his name for a reason. <laughs> so his wife, Sarah, gets an idea. Husbands, do you ever get afraid when your wife says, I have an idea? Chris gets afraid because it's always me spending money. <laughs> Except for one time I remember, this is when we were first married, we had like a really small old TV, but I had this vision of having like a big screen TV and like switching our whole living room around, you know, how to do with uh, the house. So I said, what if we get a big TV? He was like, yes, that is the best idea in the world. <laughs> he never loved me more than in that moment. <laughs> We got that big TV. <laughs> so she has an idea. And she goes, look, 
I'm not having a baby, but this lady, Hagar, who is my maidservant, she can have a baby. If you have sex with her, we can get a baby and that baby will become our baby. And then that's our child of promise that God keeps talking about. Like it makes total sense, Abraham, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. He's with Hagar, bada bing, bada boom. She has a baby. His name is Ishmael. So <clears throat> another 10 or 11 years go by. Sorry, I didn't get the exact numbers, but it's several years go by, probably about 10 or 11. That's not working out. That baby, Ishmael, he is not Sarah's baby. He's Hagar's baby. The Bible says Hagar despised Sarah, and Sarah did not like her either. I don't know what she was thinking was going to actually happen in that situation. <laughs> Do you ever wonder where your good ideas come from? <laughs> the devil. <laughs> JK. Okay, so, so another 11 years go by. Here, here it goes. He's waiting, waiting, waiting for the promise. This time, God shows up to Abraham in person. In person. God comes to Abraham's tent. This is um, on the edge of Sodom and Gomorrah, right before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says to Abraham, he says, you're going to have a child by Sarah this time next year. He's 99, so she was 98. She laughs. But I think Abraham, you know, he saw God face to face. He was like, okay, dude, I believe you. <laughs> I believe it. But this is the key. During this conversation, while they're looking at Sodom, Abraham petitions God for Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael. Why wouldn't he? He was his only son. Genesis 17, 19, after Abraham says, God, let Ishmael be part of your plan, please. God said, no, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. God is saying, all of these promises that I've made you for the land, for a nation, for the Messiah, they're only going to come through Isaac. Can you guys say God's promises come through people? A year later, Isaac is born, the child of promise. So when Isaac is weaned, the scripture says, they have a party for him. I guess that was the thing. Like, I stopped nursing my baby. Let's have a party. <laughs> I'll stop nursing. Some moms might actually have a party for that. <laughs> but, but this is the other thing. He was probably between three and five years old because they nursed for a really long time back then. So he's a little toddler. Um, and they're, ha they're celebrating. They're celebrating Isaac and, you know, his life. I mean, who wouldn't celebrate him? He's the child of promise. So Ishmael at this time is well into his teens. And the Bible says that at this party that Ishmael scoffed at Isaac. Now, I have Jewish friends, you know, and they can read all Hebrew because they're Jewish. And what they have told me is that they really believe that Ishmael was actually abusing Isaac in some way. And so Sarah gets really angry, as any mom would, and she goes to Abraham and she said, you got to cast out that bondwoman and her son. They will not inherit with Isaac. Well, Abraham's heartbroken. But Abraham goes to God and he says, God... What should I do? And God says, listen to Sarah, 
your wife. Isaac cannot inherit these promises, and he will not inherit with Ishmael. Back to the book of Galatians. Does it give you a little fuller picture? What Paul's talking to us about, he's talking about the contrast between these two sons. And he's asking us as believers, are we a son like Ishmael, who's not walking in the promises, cannot inherit the promises, or are we a son like Isaac? that walk in the promises of God. So we're going to do a little Ishmael versus Isaac. So both were natural sons of Abraham. Both were male. What was the difference? It's obvious. One was called a work of the flesh in Galatians. One was called born of the spirit. There was no faith in the recipe to get Ishmael, was there? No faith was required. Hagar, we don't know how old she was, but I can guarantee she was in childbearing years, and that's why Sarah thought it was such a great idea. I'm old. I can't have a kid. This lady's young. We can get a kid from her. No faith was needed to get Hagar pregnant. But was there faith needed to get Sarah pregnant? Yes. Yes. Faith is needed to do things that are born out of the Spirit. This is the way God operates with us, if we can get our next slide. <clears throat> when God gets into a relationship with you, he comes, God is so good. He comes to you and he gives you promises. And by faith, we receive those promises. But what we do oftentimes is God gives us a promise and we try to get it by our own works. But what does the scripture say? The bondwoman and her son cannot inherit. Whatever is done out of the flesh, it's not going to go for us in the kingdom. It's not going to be of eternal value. It's what is done that is born of the spirit. So we have to receive our faith by promise. We have to receive our promises by faith. And the Bible says that the just will live by faith. That Hebrew word live, it means this is how I stay alive. This is the difference between a spiritually dead Christian and a spiritually alive Christian. The spiritually alive Christian is walking and living by faith. Day by day, it's faith. Faith is required. But a spiritually dead Christian or a Ishmael Christian, they're just living in the flesh, just getting by, striving in their own strength. You know, we think that faith is only required for the big things of life. I need a new job. I need a new house. I need a healing. I need this. I need that. We think that faith is only required for big things, but that's not true. That's not true. It's not true. We have to have faith for everything. Listen, here's an example. God promises you if you sin, and you confess your sin that he will be faithful and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But yet we confess our sin to God and then we confess it again and again and again because we don't believe that he cleansed us. And then we confess our sin and then we walk in shame and condemnation. Why? Because we don't believe that he cleansed us. He promises us that he will cleanse us. By faith, we believe that he cleanses us and then I obtain the promise of forgiveness. Do you see that? Okay, that's how salvation starts. God says, hey, Eric, I promise you, if you believe in Jesus, that I'll save you for all eternity. 
guess what? He's promised that to the whole world. But only those who grab it by faith obtain the promise of salvation. It's the same for everything. How about this one? This is one of my pet peeves. I'm sorry if you say this. <laughs> a lot of believers are like, I'm broken and I'm a sinner. I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint. <laughs> by faith, I believe that I am a saint. And then I obtained the promise of walking as a saint. We obtain all of the things that God says that we can have by faith. We can't earn them. I can't earn being a saint because I'll never be good enough. By nature, I am a sinner. But by faith in Jesus Christ and the one who saved me and gave his life for me, I am a saint. It always points back to Jesus. What did Jesus do for me? What does Jesus say about me? This is how I obtain my promises in faith. The just will live by faith. You know that it takes faith to actually live for the Lord, like in the obedience. I thought about this story the other day, um, years ago. I had this acquaintance, and she was, she was saved. She was justified by faith. She had faith in Jesus, but she was not trying to walk out any sanctification in her life. Nobody knows anybody like that, I'm sure. And so anyway, she was dating this guy, and she was probably like 26, 27 years old. So, you know, she was like, I want to get married. But um, he moved out of state because he got a different job, and I was at my sister-in-law's house, and she's like, yeah, he wants me to move in with him. And she was all excited she was going to move in with him, which is against God's commands right? What am I talking about? Living our life by faith, okay? When we obey God's commands, that's called living our life by faith. And then I obtain the promise of the blessing that he will give me when I obey his commands. So I got really bold. I don't know why, because I'm actually, actually, I'm not a very bold person, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so I got really bold, and I just looked at her. I said, do you want to be a living girlfriend, or do you want to be a wife? She said, I want to be a wife. I said, yeah, there's a lot of honor to being a wife. And you deserve that honor. Why would you take any less? And you know what? She told him, no, I'm not moving in with you. And he put a ring on it right away. <laughs> and they're still married 10 years later. But that's what I'm saying. It took faith for her to say no because she really wanted this man, she really wanted to be with him. But by faith, she said, I'm going to put God's principles above what I want. And I'm going to obtain the promise that marriage is a good thing. And if he wouldn't have married her, God would have brought somebody even better. Because that's, it takes faith. You see what I'm saying? So my question to you is what in your life is requiring faith of you right now? The answer should be everything. Let's move on because we are children of promise like Isaac, not like Ishmael. Next thing, Ishmael versus Isaac. Ishmael represents a slavery mentality. Isaac represents a sonship mentality. And I put mentality because this is the realm of the thought life. How do we see ourselves? How do we think about ourselves? The main thing that I thought about when I think about what's the difference between, and there's many differences, obviously, but what's a big difference between a slave and a son? A slave is always outside of the house. The son is in the house. You think about that in mentality. Do you always feel like you're on the outside? That you're just over here, but everybody else is in here? You know, we could call that many things. You could call it a victim mentality. Rejection mentality, 
give, be that sinner mentality. All of these things are, I, I can never attain. I'm always on the outside. I can't ever come in. I can't come into the grace of God. I can't come into the family of God. I can't come into the house of God. These are mindsets that reflect an Ishmael. But God says that you're a son and a daughter. That's who he says that you are. When you get that revelation, when someone gets that revelation, they live a completely different life for the Lord. And you can be a Christian forever. You can be saved forever and never have that switch, never have that reality. I did it for a long, long time. I know what I'm talking about. And the only reason why I got a switch, I got a difference, is because I was spending time with the Lord and he gave me a vision of who I really was. <laughs> When you get a vision by faith of who you really are, then you're going to walk like that person. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. By faith, do you think that you're a slave? Are you a slave to your sin? Because the Bible says Jesus condemns sin in his flesh, and you do not have to be a slave to sin. Do you think that you can't get free? Well, Jesus says, I have come to give you freedom. Guys, it's by faith. We want to go to the Freedom Center, which is great, but what you're going to learn there is that it's by faith I receive the promise. That's the only way. And it's a works mentality. It's a slave mentality that says, I have to muster up something in me. I have to be good enough to grab a hold of these truths because I'm going to let you know you'll never be good enough. But Jesus is good enough for you, and he has placed his blood on you so that you can walk in confidence. You see, this is why somebody that has this reality will worship Jesus freely, because they know from what they are worshiping from. I can worship you because I know what you've done for me. It's never me. I can never be holy enough for a holy God, but a holy God puts his holiness on me, and then I can run to him. This is who we are. This is who we are. By faith. We were born to be like Isaac, children of promise. Next thing, Ishmael versus Isaac. Ishmael represents a fear mentality. Isaac versus, uh, represents a faith mentality. Why, let me ask you this question. Why did Sarah give Hagar to Abraham? She was afraid the promise wasn't going to come. She was afraid. She was afraid. She was like, so Abraham said to the Lord when he was saying, God, I don't have a son. He, he said, listen, a, a servant, Eleazar, in my house is going to get all of my possessions if you don't give me a son. Abraham was very rich. Sarah was probably being practical, and she was thinking, if Abraham doesn't have a son, then all of his wealth is going to go to the servants, and it won't stay in the house. It won't stay in the family. She was reasoning this thing out. How many know that we can reason ourselves right into fear? Fear stops the plan of God for your life. In any area that you let it live. What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman. Her son will not inherit with Isaac. Fear cannot inherit what is in the kingdom of God. It can't do it. And I know it sounds harsh, but I say this because I want you to go to war against fear in your life. 
you need to not see fear as just something. You need to see it as your enemy that is trying to knock you off the course that God has for your plan because that's exactly its desire because fear is an utter rejection of God and he will not bless it. He won't bless it. So why do we let it live? That's what the Lord did to me. I used to be in such bondage by fear. Big, I mean, big time. But God got me mad enough. You know how he did? Because he was showing me all the promises that he had for me. He's like, but Linda, you got to have faith to believe. And you got to get rid of this fear in your life. Because you're never going to obtain my promises for you. As long as you let fear boss you around. And I got mad and I started kicking down fear, the giant of fear in my life with the word of God. <laughs> and that's how you can do it. You take the word of God and you make that bigger than whatever the fear is saying to you. Because we can't parent our children out of fear. We can't have a relationship with God out of fear. We can't have a marriage out of fear. We can't be afraid of what's going on in the world because all of these things will knock us off course. We're children made for promises. We're meant to live inside the promises of God. Our lives should be a living testimony of God's promises. You can't shut a person up who's just received a promise from God. You can't. You can't shut them up. They won't shut up. I know because I'm that person. <laughs> two years ago when my sons gave their, my, our two youngest sons gave their lives to the Lord after the Lord told me that he was going to do it, and then he made a way for it to do it. It was all by faith. I couldn't see it. I didn't know what, how he was going to do it, but he promised it to me. I was sitting right over there in a worship service. He said, I'm going to get your boys this summer, and I said, thank you, God. And my husband and I, we prayed, and we prophesied, and we said, Lord, you said it. You're going to do it, and we obtained that promise by faith. An email came to us. We didn't even know where it was coming from. They went to a place. I didn't even know where I was sending them. I just knew it was all God. We obtain our promises by faith. So you may be saying in all of these messages, well, you know, you guys are talking about a lot about faith, but where's the work? Because James says, it, you don't, um, <laughs> yes, faith without works is dead. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> yes, my friend. <laughs> faith without works is dead. So where are the works? Because we're not receiving all these promises sitting in our living room watching TV. The work is, where does the work come from? I can work from fear or I can work from faith. Whatever works I do from faith will be accepted by God. Whatever works I do from fear will not be accepted by God, like Ishmael was not. I can work from a place of sonship, and it will be accepted by God. If I work from a place of a slave, it will not be accepted by God. Do you, do you hear how this is serious? This is important. When I, you don't usually hear in church words like not accepted by God, do you? But it's just the truth. It is the truth. And we don't want it to be the truth, but it doesn't matter because it is the truth. Ishmael, this is the new covenant. Paul's expressing the new covenant. What is done from the flesh, what is done from fear, what is done from slavery, it cannot obtain the promises of God. But by faith, we can obtain the promises. We can't trick God with our heart. I'll give you an example. Say there's somebody that has cancer, and one person could, the same exact diagnosis, same exact treatment plan, one person could take chemotherapy in faith, and the other can take it out of fear. 
So it's not saying we, we don't do things. We do things. Where is the heart coming from? We think we can trick God with our hearts, but we can't. We cannot. So there's another massive difference that I don't have on our slide when it comes to Ishmael and when it comes to Isaac. And this one I think is the most important because you may be struggling like, wow, Linda, you're kind of depressing me. <laughs> I don't have the kind of faith you're talking about. And honestly, like, that's good. Be real with yourself. You could be like, I don't have this, I don't have this kind of faith. I think I probably am working from flesh. I'm probably working from slavery. Like, what can I do? How can I get this faith that you're talking about? Well, we do know that faith comes by hearing the word of God, so we're definitely going to start with the word of God. But listen, this is the major difference between Ishmael and between Isaac. Ishmael was born from love. I mean, sorry, Isaac was born from love. Abraham loved Sarah. He did not love Hagar. One son was born from love, and the other was not. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision, means what you do or what you don't do, avail, doesn't avail anything but faith working through love. We want this amazing faith. We have to undergird it with an amazing love. And it's not just knowing that God loves us, it's that we love him, that we love him, that we love, we are in a love, intimate relationship with God. Intimacy, it's been so perverted in the world, so perverted, so perverted, that in the church we won't even say that word because, and we don't even know what it means when it comes to our God but he is an intimate God. He wants you to be intimate with him. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. Faith working through love. The scripture says, now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. <laughs> Guys, when did we forget that this is all about love? When do we forget that? Corinthians also says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove a mountain, but I have not love, I am nothing. You can have all of this amazing faith that I'm talking to you about, but if you have not love, you have nothing. The love of God, it's not, and I, I want you to hear me, it's not just him loving you, it's you loving him. When you love God, when you are in an intimate love relationship with God, faith is the natural outworking of that. Because at the bottom line, everything about faith is not about circumstance. It's not about things turning out the way I want them to. It's about I know my God. I have faith in him. It always goes back to him. How can I have faith in someone I do not intimately know that I don't love? The answer is I can't. If you've been spending your Christian life toiling away, doing a bunch of stuff, but you haven't focused on loving God, please stop doing all the stuff and just love God. 
Love him. This is what he says to the church at Ephesus. Jesus himself said, I've seen your, your perseverance. I've seen your patience. I've seen your labor for my name's sake. But this is what I have against you. You've left your first love. I don't want to miss a thing. It's a love song. God doesn't want to miss. He doesn't want us to miss. It's all about love. It's all about loving him. I'm telling you, we get it so wrong when we make it everything about doing, doing, doing. He wants us to be lovers of him, sold out lovers of God. A lover of God will do so much more than a person that is not in love with God. So you don't have to worry about your faith. You don't even have to worry about your works if you're in love with God. But this makes total sense because what is the greatest commandment? to love the Lord our God. Guys, he's calling us to first love. He's calling us to love him because the days that are coming, guys, we're moving forward in time. You realize that, right? The days don't get less evil, they get more evil. So we have, and it's, it's love, it's faith working through love that's going to sustain us, that's going to propel us, and not just so we can barely make it through, but so that we can exalt the kingdom of God in these days when people need the Lord more than ever before. It's going to be from a place of love. So I asked the Lord, why don't we love you? And guys, this is my message right now too. I'm, I'm crying out to the Lord, I want to love you more. I said, Lord, why don't your people love you? And as I said in the first service, it, I'm not talking about this church because we're perfect in here. It's the other churches, okay? We just need to get that clear. It's the other churches. So Lord, why don't the other churches love you? And he said, it's because you don't prioritize me. You don't prioritize me, Jesus said. You put your kids over me, put your house over me, put your job over me, put TV over me. That's not love. If I tried to put TV over Chris, that would not work. Like, honey, I don't have time to spend time with you. I got to watch a show. He'd be like, no, that's not happening. We, we in this love thing together. But we do that with the Lord. We have to prioritize him. It's not a magical formula. It's just putting first. Do you remember the days when you used to get up in the morning and you couldn't wait to spend time with Jesus? Ask him to bring those days back to you. There's no condemnation here. We're all in this boat. The pastors would say the same thing. I don't think there's ever a day when we say, I've arrived. We always should be Jesus. And it's not striving. It's just simple. Love is simple. The simplicity of love. Jesus, help me love you more. That's been my prayer. Help me love you more. You'll do for love what you won't do for anything else, won't you? You know it. But the second thing that I thought the Lord said to me, and this is where I want to land, when I said, Lord, why don't your people love you? Why don't I love him the way that we should? He said to me, because their hearts are broken. When Jesus announced his ministry in Luke 4, he said, 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news and to heal the brokenhearted. You may sit there today and say, oh, I don't have a broken heart. Ask the Holy Spirit right now. Is there a place that my heart broke years and years ago that I've never let you heal? Because it's still there. Maybe the people that were supposed to love you don't, didn't love you the way they should. Maybe you were betrayed. Maybe you lost someone that you dearly love. What about the disappointments of your own life? Does that ever weigh on you? The hurt relationships, the broken friendships, this friend, man, I loved that friend. But she betrayed me and left me. What about that? So I want to ask you today, has your heart been broken? Because Jesus wants you to love him with his whole heart. And when your heart's split into pieces, you can't give him a whole heart. So we're going to do something today by faith. By faith, we're going to ask the Lord if he would heal any places in our hearts so that we can become the people of great faith, so that we can become sold out lovers of Jesus Christ. We're going to ask the Lord, would he heal the broken places? So right now, I want you to, by faith, if you can, stand up and say, yes, my heart has been broken. It has been broken in a place, maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but my heart was broken and I never asked Jesus to heal it. But my desire today is to give Jesus my whole heart because he's worth my whole heart and I want him to be my first priority. I want my passion to be about Jesus. I want to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Jesus. I can't wait to spend time with you because you are the lover of my soul and I want to give you all of my love back. So God, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for your people that by faith, guys, we're reaching for this by faith. Lord, you see all of your dear children that have, have stood before you today. And Lord, you know where all those pieces are of their hearts. You know all the places that they were broken. You know every single part. And by faith, guys, by faith, begin to pray with me, Jesus. Make my heart whole. Jesus, make my heart whole. Heal the disappointment. Heal the betrayals. Heal the hurts, God. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And I thank you today, right now in this moment, I'm declaring over you right now that God is healing your heart and that you're going to walk out of here today with a whole heart, a fiery, passionate heart to which you will fully give to Jesus, the lover of your soul. I thank you, God, for this. This is a work that can only be done by faith in the Spirit. And Lord, that is what you love to do. I thank you, God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.